this is our, oh, this is our 50th episode. Yeah. Do you celebrate 50? I kind of think 52 is more important in some ways. Because it's been a full year, 52 calendar weeks. Right, 52. We'll celebrate both. 50, though, has like a nice ring to it. I mean, we've logged 50 of these apps. Can you believe? I mean, it's extremely impressive. I think we can all agree on that. The fact that Quinn and I have done it weekly, that is also impressive. I mean, what do you do weekly? Is there any other thing you do weekly for a year? Uh, For a year. Some people might argue work. Work. Do you do anything that you don't get paid any money for for a full year weekly? That's the real caveat. Do you do anything you lose money on? <laughs> do you? Ha- I guess that's the question. Do you have any hobbies? We'd like to know. What is your we hobby wouldn't. that you do weekly? Yoga? No, Doesn't don't count. tell us. Don't tell us. Don't tell us. I don't want to know. That's TMI. <laughs> it's way too much information. I don't care about your hobbies. No, thanks. Don't feel bad. I don't care about my friends' hobbies either. You guys are my friends. Let's get real. Next week is Thanksgiving. For the record, they're not my friends because I didn't come here to make friends. I came here to make a podcast. No offense, but that's just the truth of the situation. Yeah, let's be honest. But we are thankful for you. You, Some might say we are grateful together. Well, no one would say that. That's really weird. <laughs> but we are thankful that you listen and thankful for Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. And um, what's funny is, as you guys know, Carrie and I kind of backdate some of our recordings. So um, technically, while you're listening to this, I could have already gone into labor or I could be about to go into labor well, is the yeah, likely like, what story. Is your, when it, what is your exact due date? Again? My exact due date is the 23rd of November. I three knew days that. I before. wish I said that because it would make me look like a better listener than making you go first. That's upsetting that I did that. And okay. a better friend. Totally. That's 1,000%. Rough. It's rough. Um, well, you you know what? It's good. You revealed your true colors to the listeners, and they deserve that. You deserve to know the real me. They, they need to know the truth. To be real. <laughs> it's got to be real. Oh, you know what I was thinking? It's I'm going to say this now, and then obviously it's not going to happen, but I do think that I would like to call you when I go into labor yes. and record our phone call. Yes. And so that whatever episode ends up being the week that I'm in labor, we can put a little bit of me being in labor sometime at the beginning of the episode. Yes, 100,000%. So that in real time, the readers will get to actually experience why experience labor yeah (laughs) which i know everyone's like thank you thank you for that it's so funny that i just told you guys tmi on telling me your hobbies and and we're about to be like let's expose the world to your labor i'm gonna make you listen to me in labor (laughs) i mean i'm super into that god i'm on such a power trip huh you know what be on the power trip who cares you know i mean we're you we only live once you only die once, rather. I mean, you live a lot. But, like, life is short. Fucking let's explore it. Also, let's be honest. Labor, not, not, people don't know about labor. Actually, one of my favorite jokes that Quinn once told me was, like, what if you get to labor and it's actually no big deal at all? Like, it's super chill. Oh, that wasn't it, a joke. That was... A wish? 
That was well, a hope it's, and a dream. Well, and a I prayer. laughed. So it, I don't know if the intention was to choke, but, but it's, I interrupted. Please finish. Let's, let me continue praising Quinn real quick. Quinn was like, what if pregnancy and labor is like not a big deal and you get to a room and all and you give birth and these people pull you aside and it's like it's actually not a big deal but like make a big deal out of it it makes what was the reason it was like it's like it was a power play on men it was like this thing where it was like they don't fucking know so we've all got to act like it's like really hard and really painful to like keep them in check and to keep them like a little bit in awe of us a little bit afraid of us but i i was like harboring this wish that the labor pain would be like this great myth and that I'd get let in on it. And I'd be like, oh, it's the biggest lie of all. Because I also just love lies. I love conspiracies. Yeah, yeah. You, so I was yeah like, that's why we do this podcast. We I just want, love lies. Yes. <laughs> Don't trust a word we say. Um, <laughs> and I was really disappointed to find that wasn't the case. But Quinn also, for the record, when she was in labor. Or am I lying? Or are you lying? That's the biggest... You've also set yourself up for failure that I don't know if I can believe anything you say. You'll have to just try it yourself. <laughs> this is a DIY type situation. <laughs> I also loved when you were in labor last time. Quinn was previously my boss. Now, sort of still my boss. <laughs> I don't know. I'm really glad you see it that way. That's great. <laughs> we're like equal me. bosses. Well, I live in fear... I live in fear of disappointing anyone, so anyone... like Everyone's Quinn, Carrie's boss. Everyone's my boss. Actually. Uh, I have a deadline for everyone, and I will uphold it. Um, but Quinn was scheduling me for work or something, and while she's in the hospital, like, managing... There was a show we had to do, and you're like, okay, I can't do it anymore because I'm in the hospital giving labor. And it's like, here, you take this shift, you take this shift. And I remember emailing back being like... Stop fucking emailing. You're having a baby. And you're like, no big deal. I was in labor for 36 hours. I had time to send some emails. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like, I had time to watch a few feature films. Which, do you remember? Because I remember when I got my wisdom teeth out, I watched 27 Dresses. Not a great film to watch when you're getting your wisdom teeth out. Uh Uh-huh. I think it was at the time of, no, Blockbuster was over. But I think it was just on TV. And my mom was like, just watch that. Anyway... What movies did you watch while giving birth? To I was Koa? watching the Netflix show The Keepers. Have you seen About it? The Nun. Yes. God, that's, that's so that was funny. my labor music. I started it. I didn't finish. That it. was my feel good, pump it up, labor tunes. You you gave birth thinking of a person who could never give birth because she was celibate. Yes, isn't that beautiful of that's me? It's Really full circle. Um, and I do remember that when Koa came out, Matt said. He is born. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought that was so weird. I had a, I I can see Matt saying that I had a friend who gave birth, uh, a friend whose wife gave birth or partner, whatever it was. And we got an email, we got a text and it was like read to everyone. And this guy's very funny. And he was like, I have a son. P.S. His unit is huge. (laughs) (laughs) His birth text, he was like, my son's dick is huge. Well, good for him. I mean, I don't know how accurate it was, but, like, who's going to who's gonna debate that? Yeah, and, like, compared to what? <laughs> also, it's a child. Like, I don't think how big could it actually be. <laughs> yeah, you might want to get that checked out. Yeah, would be like, is, he, I would have is he okay? Yeah. Oh, my God. Um, um, we took Koa today and yesterday to the scary house and he hasn't yeah and he hasn't been since he was little i mean obviously it's annual he went last year yeah of course but he was little last year well i'm saying like 
his brain is so different this year. So he was like, he remembers it in this way, but it's like a myth way where he, I don't know what he actually remembers, but he's like, I want to go there. So I was like, no problem. And after school, we walked over there and it's got um, animatronic situations everywhere. It's got to be $10,000 worth of shit. It's incredible. And the house is has a big wraparound Nolan style like porch that has little sections. And so each section has a theme and there's zombies, there's witches, there's clowns, there's scary children. Um, miscellaneous. Anyway, it's really incredible. But we walked up and he just burst into tears. <gasps> and I got on the ground. I was like, oh, man, are you okay? I got on the ground. You're hearing that right. It was not an easy task. At- Wait, what do you mean you got on the ground? Like you laid down on the foot? Did he? No, just like my shape. It's hard for me to stoop. It's hard for me to get down I know, low. but when you say on the ground, I imagine you just lie like fully flat. Let myself there. fall. I let myself drop. No, I just came down to like be by his face. And I was like, are you okay, man? And he's like kind of crying. And he's like, I think we should go. I was like, okay, no problem. And I said, do you want to walk slowly around the house and I'll carry you? And he's like, yeah. So I pick him up. Also not an easy task. We start to walk around the house and he like is looking at everything and he slowly kind of calms himself down. And then he starts saying to each of the areas of the house, to the witches, to the clowns, thank you. Thank you for this. Thank you for Halloween. Very, like, (laughs) somber. Very serious. So something pivoted. It was (laughs) truly bizarre, though. Bizarre behavior. He said, thank you. Thank you. Like, thank you for your service, you know? Uh, um, What a polite boy. What a sweet, sweet boy. He really made peace with it to a point where he then didn't want to leave, and we were there a long time, and he wanted to revisit the ones that had scared him the most. So we're there a long time, and we go home, and I let Matt know. And then today after school, Matt picks him up and says, what do we want to do? I want to go to the scary house. Okay. So they walk over, and Cohen freaks out and hides behind a tree the whole time. It's totally bizarre. So it's interesting. This year, he's having, like, this push and pull kind of relationship with the house where he desperately wants to be there because I think it's, it's like... It's interesting. It's intriguing. Well, he also, like, this is the first year you've talked about him having nightmares. Yes. Right? Like, I think fear... I, I'm interested, like, us seeing someone have, a, like, have fear. He didn't really... He was never a fearful kid, you know? Like... No, but I think he... I think when you're real little, like, too, you don't... Know, we teach you what scary is. Like, do you know that um, kids don't know that poop smells bad? And we, that's a taught thing. Did you know that? What? Like, wild. you think I mean, some I... things are innate, but really they're taught. And things like disgust is one of them uh, as it relates to, like, feces and things. We that's teach that. That's trippy as shit. So it's not like a natural thing that you're like, I hate that smell. You learned that. How wild is that? I actually hate that. Yeah. So, but I don't think it's that different than saying that, like, when he's two, he's too young to be scared. He doesn't associate the imagery of the haunted house, things with red eyes, things with sharp teeth, things moving unnaturally. He doesn't associate any of that with being scary. He doesn't understand scary. And now he's older and wiser and he kind of has started to understand what is scary. This is scary. And now he has an emotional reaction to it. Wild. So 
just to bring up smell, my dad, the smell of garbage does not bother my dad because when my dad was a kid, he worked on garbage trucks. Hmm. My dad has had a storied past, but like his Indeed. family was into garbage trucks. So he was like at nine years old would like go child labor laws need not apply in the 50s, 60s, I guess. But my dad like will be in New York and my siblings will be like, oh, gross, like ugh, the trash in New York. And my dad will be like, doesn't bother me. And I think it's because like he was around it so much. It doesn't have that feeling of disgust. Yeah. Not the same association. Mm-hmm. Although trash is a hard one because doesn't it all smell a little different? Yeah, but trash has that smell, you know. You know the smell. Don't tell me what I know. You know the smell. Don't. Yeah. I will. I will tell you what I know, and you know, and it's that smell. Speaking of, that's a great song. Have you heard that song? Ooh, that smell. Can't you smell that smell? It's a crazy song. It's the weirdest song. It's like a 70s rock anthem called That Smell, and it's all about, ooh, that smell. Sounds like a real billboard topper. <laughs> it's so funny because it's so weird. All this is to say, dear readers, is that next week... We're going to take the week off. We're taking the week off because Quinn might be having a baby. Yeah, so so we're not going to edit and release an episode that week. We're going to just, you know what? We're going to just chill for a week. And I feel like, I feel like, I don't know. I'm not going to say we deserve it because we probably don't. But you deserve it. You deserve the week off from having to listen. take Take the Friday and like... You know, end the week and just hang out with loved ones, eat some leftovers, whether it's turkey, tofurkey, or just the potato sides. But like, do you? You know? Yeah. Enjoy your enjoy your week. Watch one of the Muppets movies. Yeah. By the way, you're listening to truly darkly creepy. See, I tried something new. Yeah, so and then you. I yeah, tried just, it. I heard you, and I we went riffed. with it. We just like did a new. Yeah, we did a new thing. It feels good. It feels it feels like we're getting bolder. Fifty episodes in. Fifty episodes Trying in. New things. I do think we've streamlined our process, and we've introduced ourselves way less. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Quinlan Bosner. I'm Carrie Ipema. And who's first today? You're always first. Oh, good. <laughs> All right, uh, I'm going to tell you this: the story of uh. The girl in the box. Not as cheerful as it sounds. Not as cheerful as the dick in the box. It's a girl in a box. <laughs> it's, oh, yeah. It's a girl in a box. <laughs> I like that. Also, it sounds scary. No babies in boxes, but girl in a box. I should not make any jokes because I have a feeling this is a dark story. You f- are feeling the right feeling. Okay. It's uh, a story that I got information from my best friends, all that's interesting in Wikipedia, but also some ABC and mainly a really good article in uh, something called Crime Library that was by Catherine Ramsland. That oh, had a lot of good Kathy. info. Yeah, Kathy killed it. Um, so on Thursday, May 19th, 1977, 20-year-old Colleen Stan is leaving uh, Eugene, Oregon, Morgan? that is. You're welcome. Maybe it's because there's no other places in the country. Yeah, there, I don't think there's another. I just like to guess. She wants to go visit her pal for her birthday uh, in Westwood in California. So she doesn't have a car, though, and she doesn't have loot. So she's like, whatever, I'm going to hitchhike. She was no stranger to hitchhiking. She's a hitchhike-savvy kind of gal. Mm-hmm. So she sticks up her thumb. And she, because she's done it a lot, she... Remember we were talking about hitchhiking the other day mm-hmm. when I did... The, the gas stop, gas station killer? The truck stop killer, truck yeah. Stop, thank you. Well, we were talking about hitchhiking, 
and we were talking about how awkward it is that you have to like case someone out, but yes. you're also asking them a favor. Yes. She doesn't. She turns two rides down this day that she gets in someone's car. She's like, like I think, like I don't know the details about who she turned down, but I know somebody pulled over and she was like, nope, and someone else pulled over and she was like, I'm good. Then a couple pulls over with their baby, and she's like, Ah, just right. This is what, yes. <laughs> she Goldilocks is that. She Goldilocks and she the pops on in. Ah, just right. They do have a van, which is never good, but they do have a baby. But a baby's in it. It, it kind of blue. Cancels. It's not white. You don't want a white van, folks. So, Unmarked white van? Bye. She gets in and chats with the couple, but she does notice that the husband who's driving is kind of checking her out a lot in the rearview mirror. Hmm. Uh, just in a way where you're like, yeah, I don't love that. So then they, um, they pull over at a gas station and she goes in to pee, and she has like this do I follow my blink moment where she's like, should I just fucking not come back out? Should I like, or should I come out and like run? Should I not get back in this car? Because he was, I don't like, she's right. got a feeling, but she's also like, what is he going to fucking do? His wife's there. His baby's there. Okay. I'm getting back in the car and she kind of like talks herself down. Oh, I already hate it. And they get in. So they drive like another mile. Um, and the couple says we're actually close to these like incredible ice caves and we just want to make a quick stop because we're by them right now um and colleen's like that's fine so they go down a dirt road they pull over turns off the engine and the wife gets out of the car with the baby and he turns and pulls a knife on colleen no. And he's like, put your hands up. Are you going to do what I tell you to do? And she's like, yes, I am going to do whatever you tell me to do. He then handcuffs her, blindfolds her, oh. gags her. No. So just so you know who this couple is, it's um, Cameron and Janice Hooker. That's the that's their last name. H-O-O-K-E-R? Yes. Okay. Um. Cameron's 23, Janice is 19. They met when Janice was 15, and I think he kind of felt like that was a great age to be dating a girl because you can really manipulate her and get her to do whatever you want. Whatever you want. Cameron's always been a guy that's been into, like, sexy bondage stuff, and so he would make Janice in their relationship do a lot of, I don't know, BDSM stuff, but yeah. like, yeah, under duress. Like she, she it doesn't sound like she's really thinking. I do not think it was her cup of tea. I think she was going along with it. So no. then I, I think she's this. like, I would love this to stop. He would like tie her to a tree and beat her up like while they were having sex. She was like, That is not I love this. Oh my god. So basically, they make a deal where he's like, Well, let me kidnap someone and I'll do all this stuff with them but I won't have penetrative sex or anything I won't cheat on you but I'll do some of this weird stuff you don't like with them so she's like yeah that sounds better for me let's do that anyway after pulling over and pulling the knife um he puts this metal box on Colleen's head 
like a big giant mask. It's got like plywood. It's heavy. It's got insulation in it. Um, it's almost like a helmet in a weird way. Yeah, but like her whole head's inside. There's like a neck hole. And the inside is like carpeted. Oh, God. So she can barely breathe when her head's in there. And it's totally dark. Then he kind of covers her body with a sleeping bag. She's in the back. Uh, probably her sleeping bag. And then that's when she hears Janice get back in the car. And the doors close. And they drive to uh, get some fast food. Then they drive home. Um, they take her into the cellar. And Cameron blindfold, um, she's blindfolded, but he takes the mask off, I think. And he tells her to stand on um, an ice chest and have her arms up in the air. And he ties her wrist to a pipe in the ceiling and then takes the ice chest away. So she's hanging now from her wrist from the ceiling. And he starts whipping her. So she's just dangling and getting whipped. And she can kind of see through the um, bottom of the blindfold. And she sees that he has porn open on the ground. And it's a picture that is sort of emulating her position. Yes. Okay. Um, Then he takes her down after he's whipped her. And he puts her back in the box. But this time there's a body box and a head box. And the body box has a strap. So it's her chest is strapped and she can barely breathe. It's so tight around her. It's like restricting her. But it means that she can't, because she's just trying to breathe, she can't yell or anything. And he leaves her that way all night. And the next day he gives her just like water and potatoes, but late in the day. So she's now been not eating for over 24 hours. And basically she's throughout the next day either strung up like she was prior or in the box or she's stretched naked on a rack oh my god i hate him so much so he she has like a bedpan she's using and days go by and again he's it's the same thing it's one of these three horrible scenarios and starving her and he's telling her when he gives her food to be grateful And if she doesn't seem grateful, he whips her. Meanwhile, her family has, of course, noticed she's gone missing, noticed she didn't arrive at her friend's house in California, Mm -hmm. and hasn't gotten in touch with them. They file a missing persons report. But the abuse keeps going, and it just is getting worse. He does things like holds her head underwater till she passes out. And she's like, I think this guy's really going to kill me. Like, the places he's going... It's escalating. It's, yeah, it feels like an experiment of, like, how much can a human body take? And she says to him at one point, are you ever going to let me go? And he's like, yeah, soon. He builds this full body box instead of using the two separate boxes. And he, when he keeps her in it, she has to wear earplugs. So imagine, she, it's dark and she can't hear. It's sensory deprivation. deprivation. Fucking A. I hate... I hate him. There's a thing he puts in it so that it will circulate air in and out of the box so she can breathe. Oh, God. But it doesn't affect the temperature at all, that air. So if it's fucking hot, it's fucking hot in that box. Oh, I hate this. 
he starts to electrocute her. He starts to burn her during these torture sessions. Oh, God. And again, he'll, he'll molest her, but he never is having penetrative sex with her. Um, and this goes on for weeks. And he starts to give her a little bit more freedom. Um, he builds a cell like under the stairs of the cellar and he puts her in the cell and he lets her do some menial tasks. Like mm-hmm. the tasks I read about um, are macrame and shelling nuts. Very specific, very strange. I can't totally, it's like the worst summer camp you've ever been to. This, Sit in this cell and do this macrame. This is like, uh, she's a prisoner and then she's doing labor. Like And he's trying to make money on Etsy probably. Probably with fucking macrame. Gross. Yeah, we hate him. We abhor him. Fucking um, Cameron Hooker. Cameron subscribes to a sadomasochistic newspaper. Did not know there was such a thing. Oh, there's a newspaper for everything. In January 1978, it has an article that says they sell themselves body and soul when they sign the slavery contract. And he reads this terrific article that gives him this terrific idea. And he's had Colleen like eight months now. Holy shit. Isn't that wild? Eight months. Oh, my God. And he's like... I'm going to give you this name. Your name is Kay. Your slave Kay. And you're going to sign this slavery contract. And so am I that says you're my slave. And he, this is so weird. He does this. He uses a fake name for himself in the contract, which I cannot figure out at all the motive for. Like, did he think someone would find the contract and that would absolve him? I'm not sure. But he calls himself Michael Powers. Cool name, bro. Wow. And he's like, you have to, the contract says, like, you have to call me master. You have to always be ready for what I want. Like, your body is open to me. He tells her, by the way, I actually paid $1,500 to register you as a slave with um, something called the Slave Company. And people at this company because I registered you watch us all the time they've bugged the house they've bugged the phones um they know about your family they know your family's whereabouts they'll kill them if anything if you try to get away or if you disobey me and just so you know Janice my wife is actually my slave as well and if anything bad were to happen if either of you were to go missing they would probably do something really bad to you like nail your hands to beams and hang you up for days. Colleen oh my God. totally believes him. Of course. She's, she's been like, tortured this for is eight an, months. Yeah. She's like, this is an underground situation. Oh my God. I like the only, not I like, the only silver lining right now is I'm hearing this account in depth, so I have hope that she escapes. Don't I know. look at me. You're not giving me spoilers. But dear readers, story. if you need a reprieve, just know when Quinn is telling, she's telling a firsthand account, very intricate, diff, you know, details that she would know. So I'm, I'm hoping, Colleen. You're hoping it's not the company that reported back on this. <laughs> I'm hoping to God. <laughs> so she has to wear this slave collar, I guess. And, you know, he makes like a fake registration card. And he's like, this is from the company. And he just keeps filling her head with these horror stories of what's been done to slaves that have escaped. Um, And he starts calling her Kay. 
and they start having her do chores around the house. She's kind of like a, a cleaning lady. She and she cooks for them and stuff. Um, oh my god! But whenever Cameron yells attention, she has to strip off all her clothes, stand up on her tiptoes, and reach her hands up in the air. And eventually, he does end up. After it's raping been her, yeah, he ends up raping her, which Janice is not psyched about. She's like, well, this isn't what I agreed to. But after he rapes her once, obviously, he's not going to go come back from that. So now sex becomes a part of the routine. This is disgusting. Why are there gross people in the world? So her break from being in the box and being uh, is that cage under the stairs. But Mm -hmm. then they end up moving to a trailer and there's no room. So... Because he's probably not, I don't know, making ends meet when he's spending all of his fucking time torturing someone. I don't someone. think Cameron's a super successful businessman. I don't think people are going to keep him at work. What a dill hole. So when they move to the camper, he's like, you have to live in this box. And the box goes under their bed. So she is in a box <sighs> underneath their bed. And that's where she lives. And a lot of days she's in that box. All day. 23 hours of the day. One hour, she gets to come out to, I don't know, do a chore, get raped, whatever it might be. God damn. Um, she's allowed to do yard work, which I thought was interesting because it means that the neighbors clock her. Right. But they think that she's, I don't know, a nanny. You know, they have a kid, uh, a a kid, kid. and they end up having a second kid. No shit. Actually, Janice gives birth on the bed above Colleen while Colleen's in the fucking box. Like, she can hear her give birth. Holy Isn't shit. Isn't that wild? But she never says anything to the neighbors when she's out gardening yeah, and stuff. she's afraid. She's been, like, Well, she thinks the company, the company's been... watching her, like, in her head. Jesus Christ. He ends up piercing her labia for ID purposes. And then he all... He says that when he does it, and then later he's like, and also, it's a symbol of a, a wedding, basically. Because one day, we maybe we'll have children together. Cameron's got some weird ideas. To say the least. One thing that's super nuts is in 1980, he lets her go out one night with Janice. And they have, like, drinks and meet guys and go out. Jesus Christ. And... He also sends her out to beg on the street for money at some point. Uh, neither, in, and that's in Reno, neither of those times does she say anything again. It's very Elizabeth Smart or yeah. something where it's like... The it's, fear is so strong that she can't break it. And, and also it probably sounds like she's, I mean, she's doing everything she can to survive, you know, like... At this point, if you're in a box for 23 hours, like, I can't imagine, like, the fear that that instills you of what could be worse than that. It also reminded uh, me of the Ariel Castro case in the sense that she is babysitting these kids. When you bring kids into the mix, it's always interesting to me because it's, you know, it's Cameron's kids. He cares about them. Whatever a monster like that can feel, he feels. But when these kids get older, they're going to start to be like... Why does our babysitter <laughs> under a bed? Yeah. I don't think the kids ever see her, by the way, get in the box and go under the bed. I don't think that's a thing. I think already that would be alarm bells to them. So it's like your babysitter is going to watch you today. 
but they don't know that the babysitter lives in a box under mommy and daddy's bed. Jesus Christ. He lets Colleen call her house. What? And even lets her, this is going to blow your mind. He lets her visit Home? her family. No. Yes. He goes with her as her boyfriend. No. And he says to her, just remember, like, the company's watching us. No. And they go home, and Colleen looks like shit. Her family's, like, looking at her. They're like, you look like shit. She's, you know, lost a lot of weight. She probably looks strung out, maybe. Well, she probably, she has no son. She's living on Jesus Christ. Well, I think. She goes to her family. She goes to her family, and I think. What they believe, they say at the time, is that she has joined a cult. And so they are in this situation where she hasn't been in touch with them. So they're just grateful she's that she's there. She's been away for three and a half years. Three and a half years at this point? At this point. So when she comes home, they don't want to do that thing where they're like, we're mad. We're going to give you a hard time. Or we're even going to like ask questions you don't like because they're so worried that like, it's she's her gonna, decision. Like, fall through their fingers. Yeah, like don't want to hold on too tightly. Oh my god! So they don't really say anything other than you know we love you, and they're probably whispering among themselves a lot. But you know what a weird guy that she's with now, or you think he's part of this weird cult or something. Anyway, you think that you see this pattern of him giving her more and more freedom right. in these ways, and then he totally reverts back. And he's like, nope, I want to do the old way. I'm getting nervous. I want to start keeping you in the box again all the time. And to a point where he makes Janice quit her job. And watch the box. And watch the kids. Because he's done having Colleen do it. And Col- he makes Colleen tell the neighbors, I'm moving. Because he knows... You guys aren't going to see her anymore because I'm putting her back in the box. So she tells the neighbor she's moving. And she goes back in the box. One day she ends up kicking in the door. I don't know if it said the door. And I I don't know if they mean the door of the trailer that was locked or the door of the box. I think they mean the box. But once she kicks it open, she tattles on herself because she just gets overwhelmed by be feeling like yeah. she's being watched. She's going to get in worse trouble. Right. Cameron at this point is getting a little bored, I guess. He's like, you know what? I need more slaves. So he's like, Colleen, I'm going to let you out of the box to help me build a dungeon. So they build a dungeon and they test it out on Colleen, but it floods. And he's like, yeah, this isn't working. Get back in your box. Colleen's now been with them for seven years. But, again, the freedom thing fluctuates, and she's been allowed to get a job at this point at a nearby motel to clean it. Cameron tells her, it's great that you're making money, we're going to save the money, and then we're going to use the money to build you your own sort of home that you'll have next to our home. Right. She's like, sounds terrific. His All his lies about the company mean that he just has complete power over her. So she yeah. goes to work. She makes this paycheck. She brings it to him. And she's like, I'm going to get my own house next to my, my master. Janice has started to get jealous because this is starting to sound like Cameron's a kind of talking wa- like about a second, second partner, wife. Yeah. Second wife, Jesus. Janice doesn't like that. So she she's like, I think we should let her go. Um, I don't think she says that to Cameron. Probably not. But... 
she's got some time on her hands at this point. The kids have gotten older. She's reading the Bible a lot. And she thinks some of the stuff she's reading the Bible is making her be like, you know, maybe this isn't morally okay. I, I don't know if it is. Yeah. I'm having some second. It seems maybe not that cool that we're doing this. I know what I'll do. I'll talk to my pastor about it. So she does not talk to her pastor about the situation at hand. Yeah, she's like, hypothetically. Just like a hypothetical. <laughs> if you were keeping a woman in a box. If you were enslaving a woman and your husband was raping her and torturing her and brainwashing her. You know her, how she presents it? Just in hypothetically. In its mildest form. She presents it as a fucked up love triangle and sort of makes it about the sex. Oh which, again, the pastor's like, no. That's yeah. not okay. Yeah. And she's like, ooh, okay, I know what I have to do. So on August 9th, 1984, Janice goes and picks up Colleen at work at the King's Lodge she works at. And she says to her, I have to tell you something. There's no such thing as the company. That's not a thing. He made that up. It's lies. Colleen's mind is blown. So she quits her job, leaves with Janice, she spends another night with Janice and Cameron and asks Cameron, can Janice and her sleep alone? Because I think they were at a point where sleeping arrangements were a little loose. Sometimes all three slept together. Sometimes I'm not really sure. But at this point, it was not weird, I guess, for her to say, right. can Janice and I have the bed together tonight? And they use that time to plan her escape together. They decide she's going to escape the next day while he's at work. Colleen calls her dad, says, wire me some fucking money. I need to get the fuck out of here. He does. Okay. She gets to a bus station. She calls Cameron and she tells him what's up. She's like, I know there's no company. I'm leaving. He begs her to stay. I think that they, at this point, words like love might have been tossed around. Like, I think that throughout these seven years, there's all different kinds of mind games and... Yeah. Lies that are being told. Stockholm syndrome. It's like she's... A hundred percent. So she goes home. What's really interesting is she goes home and she doesn't call the police. She goes home and she does not tell her family, this is what just happened to me over these seven years. Poor Colleen. She goes home and she keeps giving Janice calls. Yeah. She will talk to Cameron on the phone while at home. And he'll say, please, please come back. She'll say no every time, but she'll talk to him. Janice finally realizes Cameron might not be the best guy for her. And she leaves him. She goes to the same pastor and is like, remember that love triangle story? Here's the real truth. Here's the sitch. He calls the police. The detectives come and... Janice says to them, yeah, everything I said is true. Plus, you know that girl, Mary Elizabeth Spinake, the girl that's been missing for years? We actually took her before we took Colleen. And Cameron shot her and strangled her, and she died. Oh, my God. They don't find the body, but it seems like probably Janice is telling the truth about that. Now, in exchange for testifying against Cameron, they grant her immunity. I'm conflicted about that. And Cameron will never actually be prosecuted what? for the death of Mary Elizabeth Spinake because they don't find the body. They can't find the body. There's no evidence. Holy shit. 
But hearing this story, they're like, I think we'd like to hear what Colleen has to say. So they go and they chat with her. And what they're struggling with is everything I just told you. All the times she could have run, all the times she could have told, and all the times she did not. Why do people struggle with that? That I is don't like know. a very common thing, and I feel like what it does is it puts the it puts the onus on the or, victim, on the victim, which is just like God damn it! Like, I mean, <laughs> fuck you. They search the trick. I think they're like on the edge of not believing it was. Um, Non-consensual. Yeah. Then they search the trailer, though. They find pictures he took of her while she was bound and in bad shape. They find the burns on her body, the marks from her torture. He gets arrested. Um, and they find the contract also. Wow. The Michael Powers and Kay contract. Wow. So the neighbors, though, are all like, What? What? Not Cameron Hooker. Yes, Cameron Hooker. Yeah, it's him. Look harder. Wow. Be rude to your neighbors. I always say that. He's arrested. And Colleen, meanwhile, is not a great witness. Right. Um, she's just too messed up from this. Yeah. She was seven years a prisoner. And you'll die. The statute of limitations on kidnapping is up. <gasps> by the time this Why is... Why is there a statute of limitations on kidnapping? Why? Why do we have statute of limitations? Am I missing something? No, I don't get Why? that. That, like, you got away with it, so now you're good. What is this get-out-of-jail-free card? We're not playing fucking Monopoly. This is people's lives. Well, so Janice and Colleen are, like, all they have are these witnesses that both are shitty, shitty witnesses. So now the prosecution is basically tasked with trying to... Prove, I guess, that Beyond brainwashing. A doubt that, no, that brainwashing's a thing. Wow. Because if you're looking at these people and you're seeing their actions, and you were married to them, and you did this, and you both are coming at us with these abuse stories, Ugh. the prosecution has to be like they're brainwashed. Yeah. And that's a. This is the '80s, so that's not. Um, it doesn't mean the same thing it means now. <laughs> <sighs> so they charge uh, him with 16 felony counts imprisonment and forced sodomy and forced penetration with a foreign object and having used a knife and rape and I guess kidnapping does come into the picture uh, abduction all these different things Mm -hmm. and the prosecution is like let's talk about the story of O which is Cameron's favorite movie the movie is about a woman that's abducted by some lunatic that is the sadistic guy who calls himself a master and makes her into a sex slave and he brainwashes her to a point where she's willing to commit suicide for him like if she if he says kill yourself she would kill herself that's his favorite movie by the way story of O. that sounds like a really shitty movie is that what Cirque du Soleil O is based on I think so I think yes (laughs) correct Um, so but the prosecution's thought is if we show you this will you understand that she was not operating and her own free mind free will like she had no free will yeah he fucking busted her free will is what they're trying to prove yeah they also take the head box which they have into court and they make someone try it on wow so that you you see it from the outside how sort of horrifying it is but also the person inside sees can you imagine being censorial 
sensorially deprived to this level wow. on a consistent basis. And they explain Stockholm Syndrome to the jury. But they're still, the defense still has a shot because one thing that's kind of screwing up the case is Colleen making those calls. To her family? To the, no, to Janice and Cameron after getting out. Right. And then they find these love letters she wrote to Cameron that she says, he made me write these while I was in captivity. He'd make me write these professions of love for him and that I had to say how much I loved him and that I wanted to be there. And I, of course, always did it because my life was easier. These women like we're going to listen to that. The crazy fucking guy. And not these women. Like, it's so, oh, I'm melting down. So he does end up getting sentenced. He ends up getting found guilty of 10 felony counts. It should have been fucking 40. Well, if he's going to, I agree. But if 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 he ends up serving the maximum time for that. It will be 104 years. So. Uh, he deserves more. I, I deserve. He deserves so I hate him. I hate him so much. But they, they had never seen a case like this before. The FBI was, this like, was like, what one in of the, the first. Yeah. Wow. wow. Um, and Colleen, I mean, her life was really fucked up. But I do want to say that she, you know, she did the things you do. She went through therapy. She for her. went to school for accounting. She got a job. She did eventually get married and have a child. She's the fucking hero of this story. And she became a crisis hotline volunteer for domestic abuse and sexual assault. And that is the story of the girl in the box. Colleen, we love you. I'm so sorry this happened to you. I... I I think what's so crazy about it is that this is the first time the FBI saw this, and I'm sure, like... What's crazy is this became precedent, I'm sure. Like, I bet when this conviction came down, they were now able to pull this decision for future brainwashing cases, right? Like, it probably I became a landmark case. I just think it also ent- entered the lexicon in a different Absolutely. way. Because I think at the beginning, you're like, what is this brainwashing thing? And what's crazy to me is the amount of times this has happened previous to this that it wasn't seen like he's not inventing the wheel here there was a movie about this like there was common amongst the bad guys but it was never prosecuted prosecutable or whatever it is right fucking wild isn't that the craziest story i hated every second of it but i love you telling it so thank you you're welcome my story weirdly enough has someone named mary elizabeth wilson Oh, Kel Coinkydink. Kel Coinkydink. Although, is Mary Elizabeth as a first and second name a coincidence? Someone, someone on Twitter just recently wrote. I thought it was so good. I can't credit it because because I don't know who it was. But they were like, "Okay, white girls, what's your middle name? One and two. Why did your mom pick Maria Elizabeth?" <laughs> <laughs> and I thought that Wait, was very what's funny. Yours? Mine Smith. Smith. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I love mine. I love my middle name. Well, my mom's maiden name is Barry, and my brother and sister's middle name is Barry. So when she had me, she wanted to name me Carrie. So I was almost Carrie, Carrie Barry. Barry. At the mom. I was almost Carrie Barry. That's pretty cute. It's cute, but my mom was like, there's no. It's cute, but it's not that cute. But my dad's name is Harry. So like at home, it was always, we never knew who my mom was calling. It would be like, Barry. <laughs> like, uh, which one? Anyway, yeah. Carrie Smith, which is my grandma's maiden name. And it's S-M-Y-T-H. Oh, I know. I actually know that. As soon as you said it, I could picture the spelling. And yours is Tiffany. 
<laughs> How dare you? Brielle. It is. I, I ask all I'm the offended. time. I always ask. Because it's Danielle. Not, it's Danielle. What is Brianna's? Taryn. Taryn. T-A-R-Y-N? Yeah. Bri- Yours is Danielle. I have to remember. I have a hard time remembering. That's why it I was... doesn't matter. Does anyone care what their middle name is? I do. Oh. Oh, well, okay. I, I really don't. like it because so, it's my grandma's maiden name. Well, then let's, you know what? We'll remember yours. We'll forget mine and we'll move on. We'll move on. Okay. So I'm doing the story of Mary Elizabeth Wilson. I got this information from Wikipedia, YouTube, Murderpedia, Murder UK. What's been great is, just so dear readers, you know, if you have my phone number and you want me to do a case, just text me. That's how I got my cases. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's like a Patreon feature, but like I love a suggestion and I got this from Adam. Adam, like, sent... He's like, this is a great one. I was like, okay, I'll do this one. You just keep doing what Adam tells you to do. I know. I like the guy. All right. That's I'm fair. trying to win him over. He's I'm really trying to get trim. an invitation Well, he does own upstate. a wine store. He has right. a wine store, and he has a country home. Why wouldn't I be working hard at this relationship? <laughs> <laughs> Why am I not putting in the work? I think there's plenty of ways it could yield fruits. Okay, so Mary Elizabeth Wilson is known as the Merry Widow of Windy Nook. How, what that's a quaint a great, name. Yeah, that's Mary a children's Widow story. Mary Widow of Windy Nook. Beautiful. So she's born in 1889, so imagine that time period. I always feel like saying the time period is so helpful because I just, like, imagine clothes yep. and black and white photos. Like, oh, she has a fan. Exactly. At 25 years old, she marries this guy, John Knowles. Not sure if he's related to Beyonce Knowles, but John Knowles, spelled the same way. They're together 41 years, so they have a very long relationship. I guess the town that they lived in in Windy Nook, like, fell on some hard times. There was a quarry. It's not that important. All you need to know is that they ended up taking in some lodgers. I guess this was, like, a normal thing to do where you would let people live with you and they pay you rent. I mean, sounds like New York now. Yeah, it's <laughs> sounds normal now. Not not normal. So this guy, John Russell, comes in. He's a local painter. He moves in with them. Now... Mary and John Russell, I think, are starting to get along pretty good. Mm -hmm. Um, And then her husband, um, in 1955, after 41 years, John Knowles dies at the age of 77. His cause of death is TB or natural causes, in that he's old. It's the early 1900s. He just dies. So John Russell and Mary, I think they were, like, having an affair, so they, they end up like live together. they live together. It's convenient. He knows her routine. You know, <laughs> they have, I mean, it, there's not much change. And I think, too, in death, you go to comfort. So five months later, they get married. Pretty sneaky, sis. Not a great look. But... Not a great look, but like her ex was 77. I feel like when you get old, it's like senior spring. You know, do live your life. And then. Later that year, 1956 or 1957, I wasn't able to pin down the date, but John Russell dies. And on his death certificate, it's listed as natural causes. So Mary gets the whopping inheritance from the two men of 42 pounds. (laughs) She's in the money. Apparently it's 1,500 pounds at the time, which I'm like, whoa, inflation, hey, yo. But 1,500 pounds, I don't know how much that's worth, but... I mean, 1,500 pounds is, I guess, worth a lot. But she was like, this feels great. Like, 
great. I got all this money. This feels great. <laughs> I'm She's alone like, great. At I'm last. alone, but I got all this money. So sick. So in 1957, she meets this guy, Oliver Leonard. So this is not long after John Russell dies. And this guy is a real estate agent. He's retired. Um, he's recently widowed. And she has this friend, Mrs. Connolly, who Oliver Leonard was living with Mrs. Connolly in the same situation where he was paying her rent and all that stuff. And so Mary kind of was like casing him out a little bit. And she asked Mrs. Connolly, she was like, does he have money? And I guess Mrs. Connolly had just gotten his deposit to like stay with her. And she was like, I think he does. He's like a retired real estate guy. And Mary's like, cool, 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 chill, 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 chill. <laughs> so she's like, hey, Oliver, it's me, Mary. Hey. You look great. You look so Is that a new handkerchief? I heard you lost your wife. I lost my husband. Let's comfort each other through this vibe. So they were like, hey, 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 hey. And then they get married when she was 64. So, like, you know, live your it's life, too Mary. Late. It's never too late. For a third marriage, For a third I always marriage. say. So two to days Matt, later. To scare him. And by the way, he's 75 years old. Um, Oliver Leonard. She's got a type, ladies. Uh, so two days later, after they get married, she goes to the insurance policy guy, this insurance agent. She's like, hey, quick cue. Can I get a life insurance policy on my new hubby? I'm interested. And the insurance agent is like, girl, he's too old. Like, we're not going to fucking. We're not going to pay out on insur- that. Yeah, there's no way. And then 10 days after that, Oliver gets sick. Weird, right? Crazy. Um, For so no is, money? Well, no money, but like... But exactly, enough of him. I think what's important to know... Try, oh, try again. I Go think it's important to know that when she... Before they got married, I missed this, but this is important. Before they got married, he moved in with her. I wish I could backtrack this. Whatever. I'm editing it. She's like, come move in with me. And he's like... Okay, cool. I'll move in with you. They weren't married. Um, and then at one point afterward, Mary Elizabeth went to Mrs. Connolly and was like, ugh, get that man out of my house. He won't sign anything over to me unless we're married. So then they got married. So, like, listen, she, the bitch has got motive. So, okay, so 10 days or 12 days after they got married, he gets sick. And so he goes to the doctor and he's like, he's having some, like, heart problems. He falls out of bed. Mary Elizabeth gets these neighbors to help bring him back to bed. And they're like, maybe you should call the doctor. And she's like, no, no, no. Let me make him some tea. She makes him some tea. I guess he spits it out. And then six hours later, she's like, hey, doctor, can you come? He's dead. Um, The cause of death was his heart and kidneys failed. But he was like 75. Like, what is the deal? So the doctor tells her this and she's like, are you single? <laughs> she's like, how much money do you have? So she's like, heart and lint kidney failure. He leaves her whopping 50 pounds. So this is more than the previous payday. She's like, chill, chill, chill. This is great. So then she meets this guy, Ernest Wilson, like pretty soon after because she's got an MO, baby. What's known about Ernest Wilson is apparently they're like, the guy doesn't wear socks. And he doesn't wear underwear. I don't like it. Not even on his wedding day. Like, he just was like... I don't like it. He was like, Ernest Wilson... Put on some clothes, Ernest. Put on some clothes, but also do you. You're old. Fucking live your life. Ernest was well off. Had, like, a 50-pound life insurance policy and, no brags, he owned his own home. Ooh, a lot. I know. He wasn't moving with her. He had his own home. I guess he had a 100-pound estate. So, like, listen, 
This was a good situation. So the two of them got married, and the party was super fun, but there were leftover cakes and tea and stuff after the party. Somebody was like, ugh, what should we do with these leftover cakes and tea? And do you know what Mary said? Save it for the funeral. She did not. She was joking, guys. She she's like, did not. She's like, don't worry. Mary, you cracked me up. Mary. That was a good one, Mary. She got edge. That was funny. So there is two conflicting reports, but one of it is maybe within two weeks. But what we know is definitely within the year. But guess what? Ernest doesn't feel very well. Oh, no. Oh, no. What What's could wrong, Ernie? possibly happen, Ernie? Well, she offered him food. He turned it down. He's got them natural, a case of them natural causes. Yeah. So what she does is the doctor's called and she's like, ugh, I'm going to call my friend. She goes to her friend and she's like, listen, can I spend the night at your house? And her friend's like, yeah, girl, come on over. Let's have a night. We'll have a little kiki. So she goes over to her friend's house. They have a night, a little slumber party. The next day, her friend walks her back to her house and like they're about to enter Mary's house. And Mary turns to her friend and she's like, I just feel like I need to warn you about something. Ernest is dead in there. I didn't want to spend the night with a dead body, so I, like, called you, girl. So, just so you know, you're walking in on a dead body. So, they come back. He's obviously dead. They died from, he died from, quote, heart failure. Um, So, she claims his life insurance, his 50-pound life insurance policy, um, and then cleans out his whole bank account. So, she's, like, got the cash. Um, Does she even need more money at this point? You know what? Who doesn't need more money? You're right. No, that's fair. I think it's important to note. She was a little bit busy spending or taking the money, so she actually didn't make it to his funeral. Okay? Oh, my God. You got to it in at least. Yeah, you got to try. But the thing is, is what was nice is she went to the undertaker to, like, bring his body, and she was like, come on. Do I get a discount on bringing you so much business? Oh, my God. She loved a joke. She was an entertainer. She's a comedian. She's a comedian. What's sad is that Ernest's son, George, he didn't know his dad had died until a month later. And when he contacted Mary Elizabeth, she was like, oh, he died of a seizure, which is actually not what happened. Um, It was heart failure. So at this point, like, this is her fourth partner to die in pretty rapid succession. Yes. And so I think naturally people in town are like, whoa. Don't marry her. Don't marry her. Get out while you can. Um, So the gossip then turned into rumors to the police, and the police were like, huh, this is fascinating. So then they started investigating it on their end, and then the press find out. It's like this windfall. What I'm saying is gossip works. Start gossiping. You could have a police investigation. So, during this whole gossip investigation, Mary is like, this is bullshit. I didn't do anything. All she says is she's like, men like me and I like them. I don't want to have an opinion that's negative of a woman, but she's not that hot. Like, I wanted her to be hot. She looks like a mother, you know? She's like... What's wrong with that? But, like, Anona. She looks like a grandmother. Oh, okay. She's like, Anona. She's like Anona. <laughs> Although she's not Italian, let it be clear. Her name is Mary Elizabeth Wilson. She's fully English. They search her house, and then they exhume the bodies of both of her last two husbands. Okay, so Ernest and Oliver. And in them, they find, like, a bunch of phosphorus and this thing that I only heard someone say, which is, like, a wheat bran, which I guess the combination of the two is significant because it's in rat poison. 
For oh. the record, other articles said beetle poison or cockroach poison. Some we sort know of there's like a poison there's at play a poison here, folks. that is present to get rid of pests and vermin. And husbands. And husbands, clearly. Because only she prepared the food, right? Like, so they're questioning her and they're like, did your husband eat somewhere out? And she's like, no, I made the food. And they're like, okay, but like, did he go anywhere else? And she's like, "Mm -mm, it was me. I made the food. And they're like, okay. So she's arrested for murder um, and charged with murder of her last husband, um, Ernest. And then while she's in jail, they charge her for Oliver, the second husband. Mary's defense which I love, is that while they were together, her husbands took love pills. Are you familiar with love pills? It's it's basically Viagra. It's old school Viagra. It's That's what I was going to say. old school Viagra. And I guess in it is phosphorus, mm. which is wild. And I guess it contained phosphorus and wild. But when they looked at the men's stomachs, when they exhumed him, which, by the way, Cremation, I guess, is the way to go. You know what I mean? Less to exhume. If you're a murderer, you're a murderer it is the way to cremate. go. Um, but the men's stomachs were, like, bright yellow. And at the trial, they were like, his stomach was yellow. Let's look at these love pills. And they crushed him in front of the court, and they were a different color. So that was suspicious. Um, at the trial, she was like, I did nothing to those four men. I just gave them nothing but kindness. And love pills. And love pills. And beetle poison. And fucking poison. Um, The trial took six days, and after 90 minutes of the jury convening, they found her guilty on both counts of murder, and they sentenced her to hang on June 4th, 1958. But because of her age, they were like, I I don't know if we can hang her. She's too old. (laughs) That's so weird. (laughs) I love it. After this conviction happened, they ended up exhuming the previous two husbands' body, both Johns, John Russell, John Knowles, and they found that their stomachs were also yellow and there was a high amount of phosphorus in them. So somehow she killed it, which is bizarre because after 41 years of marriage from her first husband, that's when she kills him. Yeah, that is wild. But, but I guess then she, forty-one like, fucks years. John really Russell, she's having an affair. I guess that helps with it too. Like right. that makes her expedite his death. And just enough is enough. She is the last woman to ever be sentenced to death in England. But of course, she doesn't do it because she's too old. So at 1963, she's 74 years old. Two years into her sentence, she dies. She maintained her innocence the entire time. She said it was just all a misunderstanding. And she has grandkids who are still alive, <gasps> which is Whoa. wild. Wow. Um, but they talk about how when they were kids and when they would get in trouble, that she was like the boogeyman. That they were like, don't misbehave or Grandma Mary Elizabeth will come get you. Whoa. Dark. Like it. Dark. But if that was your family history, like, let's... It's a fairy tale. It's like a fairy tale. Yeah, she's the witch, but she's... (laughs) She's a merry widow of Windy Nook. The merry widow of Windy Nook. Merry widow of Windy Nook. It's a grim fairy tale. I don't hate these two stories together in that because this guy was a piece of shit. And I think we needed some, like, women to kill men in we the next story. I think we needed... I just wanted some balance. So you're happy with the episode is what I'm hearing. I'm not... I don't know if I'm happy with... I don't think I'll ever be happy about the story that you told. No, maybe that's the wrong word. But you, but I you, love, you, you I, think we're dishing out good content. I think we're dishing out balanced content. I will never say it's good. 
so truly darkly creepily is part of a balanced diet. It really That's is. That's what you're it's trying to say. It's the most Libra podcast you'll ever get. Mixed up in a pepper grinder with love pills, beetle poison, <laughs> and, and just, all the rest of it. I think it'd be friend. All right, is it time to go? Yeah. Um, listen, you guys, we won't see you next week. We miss you already. We miss you. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. If you're in Canada, we missed your Thanksgiving. It was a couple months earlier, and in which case, happy belated Thanksgiving. But boy, are we thankful for Canadians. Oh, very much so. And we'll see you guys next week. Not next week, but two weeks. All right, mark your calendar. Two weeks. Yeah. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> 